Chapter Five of Gunman's Reckoning by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. But Donnegan had leaped clear of the roadbed, and he struck almost to the knees in a drift of sand. Otherwise, he might well have broken his legs with that foolhardy chance. As it was, the fall whirled him over and over, and by the time he had picked himself up, the lighted caboose of the train was rocking past him. Donnegan watched it grow small in the distance, and then, when it was only a red, uncertain star far down the track, he turned to the vast country around him. The mountains were to his right, not far away, but caught up behind the shadows so that it seemed a great distance. Like all huge, half-seen things, they seemed in motion toward him. For the rest, he was in bare, rolling country. The skyline everywhere was clean. There was hardly a sign of a tree. He knew, by little reflection, that this must be cattle country, for the brakey had intimated as much in their talk just before dusk. Now it was early night, and a wind began to rise, blowing down the valley with a keen motion and a rapidly lessening temperature so that Donnegan saw he must get to a shelter. He could, if necessary, endure any privation, but his tastes were for luxurious comfort. Accordingly, he considered the landscape with gloomy disapproval. He was almost inclined to regret his plunge from the lumbering freight train. Two things had governed him in making that move. First, when he discovered that the long trail he followed was definitely fruitless. He was filled with a great desire to cut himself away from his past and make a new start. Secondly, when he learned that Rusty Dick had been killed by Joe, he wanted desperately to get the throttle of the latter under his thumb. If ever a man risked his life to avoid a sin, it was Donnegan jumping from the train to keep from murder. He stooped to sight along the ground, for this was the best way at night, and often horizon lights are revealed in this manner. But now Donnegan saw nothing to serve as a guide. He therefore drew in his belt until it fitted snug about his gaunt waist, settled his cap firmly, and headed straight into the wind. Nothing could have shown his character more distinctly. When in doubt, head into the wind. With a jaunty swinging step, he sauntered along, and this time, at least, his tactics found an early reward. Topping the first large rise of ground, he saw in the hollow beneath him the outline of a large building, and, as he approached it, the wind clearing a high-blowing mist from the stars, he saw a jumble of outlying houses, sheds, barns, corrals. It was the nucleus of a big ranch. It is a maxim that, if you wish to know a man, look at his library, and if you wish to know a rancher, look at his barn. Donnegan made a small detour to the left and headed for the largest of the barns. He entered it by the big sliding door which stood open, and he looked up and saw the stars shining through a gap in the roof. And then he stood quietly for a time, listening to the voices of the wind in the ruin. Oddly enough, it was pleasant to Donnegan. His own troubles and sorrows 
had poured upon him so thickly in the past hour or so that it was soothing to find evidence of the distress of others. But perhaps this meant that the entire establishment was deserted. He left the barn and went toward the house. Not until he was close under its wall did he come to appreciate its size. It was one of those great rambling, two-storied structures which the cattle kings of the past generation were fond of building. Standing close to it, he heard none of the intimate sounds of the storm blowing through cracks and broken walls. No matter into what disrepair the barns had fallen, the house was still solid. Only about the edges of the building the storm kept murmuring. Yet there was not a light, neither above nor below. He came to the front of the house, still no sign of life. He stood at the door and knocked loudly upon it, and though when he tried the knob he found that the door was latched, yet no one came in response. He knocked again, and putting his ear close, he heard the echoes walk through the interior of the building. After this, the wind rose in sudden strength and deafened him with rattlings. Above him, a shutter was swung open and then crashed too, so that the opening of the door was a shock of surprise to Donnegan. A dim light from a source which he could not direct suffused the interior of the hall. The door itself was worked open a matter of inches, and Donnegan was aware of two keen old eyes glittering out at him. Beyond this, he could distinguish nothing. "'Who are you?' asked the woman's voice. "'And what do you want?' "'I'm a stranger, and I want something to eat and a place to sleep. This house looks as if it might have spare rooms.' "'Where do you come from?' "'Yonder,' said Donnegan, with a sufficiently noncommittal gesture. "'What's your name?' "'Donnegan.' "'I don't know you. Be off with you, Mr. Donnegan.' He inserted his foot in the closing crack of the door. "'Tell me where I'm to go,' he persisted. At this her voice rose in pitch with squeaky rage. "'I'll raise the house on you.' "'Raise him. Call down the man of the house. I can talk to him better than I can to you. But I won't walk off like this. If you can feed me, I'll pay you for what I eat.' a shrill cackling. He could not make out the words, and since patience was not the first of Donnegan's virtue, he seized on the knob of the door and deliberately pressed it wide. Standing in the hall now and closing the door slowly behind him, he saw a woman with old, keen eyes shrinking away toward the staircase. She was evidently in great fear, but there was something infinitely malicious in the manner in which she kept working her lips soundlessly. She was shrinking, and half turned away, yet there was a suggestion that in an instant she might whirl and fly at his face. The door now clicked, and, with the windstorm shut away, Donnegan had a queer feeling of being trapped. "'Now call the man of the house,' he repeated. "'See if I can't come to terms with him.' "'He'd make short work of you if he came,' she replied. She broke into a shrill laughter, and Donnegan thought he had never seen a face so ugly. "'If he came,' she said, "'you'd rue the day.' "'Well, I'll talk to you, then. I'm not asking charity. I want to pay for what I get.' 
This ain't a hotel. You go on down the road. Inside eight miles, you'll come to the town. Eight miles? That's nothing for a man to ride. Not at all, if I had something to ride. You ain't got a horse? No. Then how'd you come here? I walk. If this sharpened her suspicions, it sharpened her fears also. She put one foot on the lowest step of the stairs. Be off with you, Mr. Donagalley, or whatever your outlandish name is. You'll get nothing here. What brings you? A door closed and a footstep sounded lightly on the floor above, and Donagan, already alert in the strange atmosphere of this house, gave back a pace so as to get an honest wall behind him. He noted that the step was quick and small, and preparing himself to meet a wisp of manhood, which, for that matter, was the type he was most inclined to fear, Donnegan kept a corner glance upon the old woman at the foot of the stairs, and steadily surveyed the shadows at the head of the rise. Out of that darkness a foot slipped, not even a boy's foot, a very child's. The shock of it made Donnegan relax his caution for an instant, and in that instant she came into the reach of the light. It was a wretched light at best, for it came from a lamp with smoky chimney, which the old hag carried, and at the raising and lowering of her hand, the flame jumped and died in the throat of the chimney, and set the hall awash with shadows. Falling away to a point of yellow, the lamp allowed the hall to assume a certain indefinite dignity of height and breadth, and calm proportions. But when the flame rose, Donnegan could see the broken balusters of the balustrade. The carpet faded past any design and worn to rattiness. Wallpaper, which had rotted or dried away, and hung in crisp tatters here and there and on the ceiling an irregular patch from which the plaster had fallen and exposed the lathwork. But at the coming of the girl the old woman had turned, and as she did the flame tossed up in the lamp, and Donnegan could see the newcomer distinctly. Once before his heart had risen as it rose now. It had been the fag end of a long party, and Donnegan, rousing from a drunken sleep, staggered to the window. Leaning there to get the freshness of the night air against his hot face, he had looked up and saw the white face of the moon going up the sky, and a sudden sense of the blackness and loathing against the city had come upon Donnegan, and the murky color of his own life, and when he turned away from the window he was sober. And so it was that he now stared up at the girl, at her breast, she held a cloak together with one hand, and the other hand touched the railing of the stairs. He saw one foot suspended for the next step, as though the sight of him kept her back in fear. To the miserable soul of Donnegan she seemed all that was lovely, young and pure, and her hair, old gold in the shadow, and pale gold where the lamp struck it, was to Donnegan like a miraculous light about her face. Indeed, that little pause was a great and awful moment, for considering that Donnegan, who had gone through his whole life with his eyes ready either to mock or hate, and who had rarely used his hand except to make a fist of it, Donnegan, who had never 
so far as is known, had a companion who had asked the world for action, not kindness. This Donnegan now stood straight with his back against the wall and poured out the story of his wayward life to a mere slip of a girl. End of chapter 5